0: Welcome to our podcast from the Agile Gorilla. We're a collective of M&A professionals from the US and UK through to Europe and Asia. Every couple of weeks, we look at an M&A deal that's hitting the headlines, the risks, opportunities, new ways of thinking about how to make the deal a success. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, visit theagilegorilla.com. Successful deals are possible in our view. We just feel that the commonly accepted way of doing things is wrong. Uh, Today on the web podcast, you have Ben, Abbe, and myself, David, and we take a look at the upcoming integration of DeepMind into Google Brain nine years after the acquisition. Good morning. Good
1: morning. So you know, uh, this topic is of particular interest to me, partly because I was involved. I'm I'm an advisor. I'm involved in a um, machine learning based uh, investment fund, and I'm also involved in a couple of tech things where uh, ChatGPT has come up at the board meeting. Have you heard of these Chuck Norris facts? Like there are these absurd things about Chuck Norris. The head of Google AI, Jeff Dean, who is also in this article, yep. is uh, has a similar set of facts. He is worshipped in the computer science community, To the and I'll read off a couple of them in preparing for this, but just to start the podcast. So I think what we're talking about is the article in the FT that basically has the title Google's Deep Mind Brain Merger, Tech Giant Regroups for AI Battle. And it showed up on April 28th in the uh, Financial Times. And so that's the topic of today's conversation. So uh, Jeff Dean, who created or developed, he's the lead engineer at Google and responsible for Google Brain. So here are a couple of facts about that people make about Jeff Dean. This is sort of within, I got rid of the really techie, geeky ones. But, uh, one is Jeff Dean's pin code are the last four digits of pi, which is funny because Pi has no last four digits. Jeff Dean this is a Jeff Dean got proponent to level eleven in a system where there are only ten levels, and that's actually true. He is the only eleventh level engineer at Google because the top two guy the top engineers are level ten. Jeff Dean can read in binary and write in binary um. Jeff Dean's resume lists the things he hasn't done because it's shorter that way. When God said, let there be light, Jeff Dean was there to do a code review and check the work. When, when Graham Bell invented the telephone, Jeff Dean was, uh, he saw a missed call from Jeff Dean. And then the final one is the speed of light in a vacuum it used to be 35 miles an hour, but then Jeff Dean spent a weekend optimizing physics. So this is the guy who's head of Google Brain which is one of the two parties involved. One of the interesting things about this is that this transaction is in fact one that would be very hard to have an AI figure out how to do. The summary of the article is basically in order to prepare themselves for the coming battle or war with other AI developers like OpenAI, Google has... Uh, suspended its deal or terminated its deal with Demi Hassabis's DeepMind to keep them independent, and in fact, has now they've agreed to merge DeepMind with Google Brain, which is the San Mateo or uh, California-based group within Google. And uh, the whole goal here is to start producing more actionable products and that get released. Because I think for the first time in its career, at least since Yahoo and others fell away, Google is now threatened by the onslaught of AI as a threat to its core search business.
0: So I love this conversation because we're talking about a merger separate from the deal nine years ago. So you kind of strip out the deal making side of it and say, okay, what's left to do? But equally, the AI side of things is really interesting. So um, I was reading something, uh, things uh, in prep for this, and they reminded me about Xerox and Park and how all of the explosion in Silicon Valley is because you had all these people and technologies that Xerox said, "Nah, not for us." Uh, and ironically, here you've got. Chat GPT, which is built on the technologies that Google were developing and published for the public, you know, Transformers, just a, a bit of technology that goes into Chat GPT uh, and also large language models, the whole concept of large language models, you know, really pushed forward by uh, the DeepMind team. It's just they were so focused on other things that they moved on to, they moved on elsewhere. Other people have like actually, that's quite interesting. Let's focus on that. And have really made something of it. So you can almost say that Google, through their other bets have actually created these uh, opportunities for other people to attack Google. That is a
1: very good point. Ben, what are your thoughts uh, on the article overall and how you think from a post, I guess, from a, the merger's done. And so I guess now they're going to integrate. And from an integration perspective, how do you see this transpiring?
2: Well, I, I've got a couple of things to talk to. You will work be surprised. The first is, you know, this felt, feels a little bit like, you know, and th- I'm people are going to hate this, but it feels a little bit like a, a sort of nine-year-old vanity project that Google invested in. You know, we're going to get the cleverest people in the world to come together. We don't really care what they produce because they're really, really clever. And, you know, we might get something interesting out of it, basically. And in the same way that Google and all the other technology companies have gone from being this sort of you know, a very wide perspective on what the world could be and what we could do, they've become much narrower as they're, you know, obviously listing and all that other stuff has generated a, a more conservative mindset. And they finally said, look, actually, to, what, to be honest, the 400 million that we put in up front, plus the 400 million that we've put in every year since that process is probably enough, right? And actually, we need to somehow commercialise this process. So so there's a, there's a thing there that I think is a, a, an interesting angle to think about. The second thing that I think is interesting... From my perspective, is and Demis Hasabis talks about this a lot. He talks about the fact that what he created was um what he was trying to create was a a, a sort of glorious sort of invention lab between academics and engineers, where the engineers were really the 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 grunt people in this process, right? The academics were the ones and the, there's lots of conflict. And he talks a bit about this fact that he needs to somehow, he wanted to create some sort of collaborative space, which is not a natural space for academics to go to at all, right? Because the reality is they love conflict. In fact, their whole academic model is based on conflict, yeah? And so so going to your question again about what does this integration look like going forward? I think you've got a real rock and hard place challenge here going forward in terms of these organizations, because when you speak, when you hear Jeff Dean speak, all he ever speaks about is engineering, right? And he he means that from a practical, pragmatic perspective on what this is worth to the business. He completely gets the commercial aspect of this. And I think the Demis is still sitting there to some extent saying, I need to manage this sort of slightly, you know, uh, introverted uh, group of people who live in their heads um, and we're trying to do this co- collaboration model. I just don't understand how that's going to work together. Last thing I was going to say is um, in one of the interviews that I heard, heard him talk to was that, you know, the, the, the result, what, what did you, so I think he was asked the question, what do you need to be successful at DeepMind? And he said, well, there's really three things that I think are critical. One is curiosity which I think is a fairly reasonable one. The second one is humility. So that's really hard for academics because it's not normal for them to go and say, I actually answer the, don't answer the question to this. The answer, the, I don't know the answer to this question. Uh, that's not a normal state of mind to be. And then the third thing he said, I need a specific group of people. Um, and he called them the glue people who can sort of connect great ideas with people who can make it happen, basically. And he was asked, you know, how many of those have you got in your business? He said, well, you know, out of my thousand people, there's maybe... You know a couple of dozen that do that, including me, right? So, again, we're back to this challenge about how do you create a connection between a bunch of people who probably don't really want this to happen, let's be honest, right? Because it's much more attractive to be sitting in your own little space, and a bunch of people who are determined and probably incentivized to use your favorite term, uh, Abe, uh, to make this into a commercial reality.
1: It's interesting. I mean, there are a couple of things you touched upon that are worth retouching upon. Um, Well, there's lots of stuff that we could retouch upon. There's a couple of it I'll I'll choose to touch upon. One, the cultural difference. Now, watching this movie AlphaGo, it really talks about how the deep mind team are not purely doing it for the technical accomplishment of Coming up with a transformer model or doing computer science research. They're really trying to win contests, or at least that's what they get publicized for. So, one contest they won was this challenge that they created to beat the world's best Go player. And they did this, and that that journey is captured in the movie. The second, and probably more important, is they won the uh, 14, they won a contest called CASP 14, which is the critical assessment of structure prediction for predicting the three-dimensional structure of proteins, which has been a contest that's been going on, I think it's every two or four years. And so they really build or develop technologies to solve problems. But at the same time, they're ultimately not a profit-seeking institution. They're almost like a some cross between an academic, well, here's what I would say. They're almost like a, a nonprofit, Institution to solve problems in the world using this technology. Yeah. Out on the West Coast, you have an academic research lab run by Jeff Dean, who's really interested in the technical details of the technologies and the computer science underlying. David, yeah. what are you? Uh, so I was going to say, the um, uh, one of the key metrics
0: is you say, when you're in an organization like DeepMind, where you don't have profit as ultimate. Uh, goal, measuring success and measuring progress is hard. So the, the the challenges is a great example. And the other one they've got is papers. So rather than profit, it's just how many papers are you publishing and what are they getting into? So how many papers have I published into the Nature magazine? That's my
1: metric. Yeah, I think this term that they used in the article, which is they're looking for Nobel worthy accomplishments really struck me. And so that captures the essence of what DeepMind is trying to do. I get the sense that on the West Coast in uh, uh, Mountain View, Google is very focused on beating Microsoft and, A- and open AI and sort of reestablishing their dominance in artificial intelligence. And so one of the, I guess the head, they've made Demis the head of the whole thing. And so one question is, what happens to the talent in the US when the headquarters and the ethos is still in London. Yes. So
0: you've got so something like 3,500 people in California in Mountain View. And the great thing there is that is, the, you know, the heart and soul of Google. Um, and now it's being led by someone who oversees a team in London and and the organisation about 1,500. So less than half the size, not in the right location of the kind of heart of the organisation, but nominally now the head of this, you know, a yeah, really important team for the survival of the organization.
2: The other thing I was going to could just pursue a little bit on this was one of the interviews, again, that I've heard Dennis talk to, and he's, you know, he's, a, he, he's out there. It's quite interesting how much for, you know, how much he recognizes the need to be, the front face of this organization and to make it almost something that isn't scary and frightening which it probably is for 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 most of us in terms of the, the implications behind this he talks a lot to the fact that that someone to 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 join this organization need to have his, his comment his comment was unimpeachable qualities and then he talks a lot about an ethics board he talks about this need to have people in this organization that are ethically sound like that is a sort of you know, uh, a barrier against unethical practice, right? Uh, and I, both of those things, I think, I find totally fascinating. Because if you're thinking about him as a a leader of this com- combined organisation, which is now pretty sizable, you know, compared with whatever he's run before, we're talking about really significant size of business. the The, the ability for him to lead something like that through that change process, through through you know, a set of people who probably see each other. In in less than uh, positive terms, let's put it that way. Certainly, the gap between the engineers and the academics might might lead to that. And as you say, they've been competing with each other for for god knows how long. So it's incredibly hard from that point of view. And they've got this new commercial set of goals. I just think that's a task that would be a challenge for anyone, um, but it might be a very significant challenge for someone who, you know, who's who's come from that that perspective, which is my 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 key criteria for success is that I hire people who I th- I can trust from an ethical perspective.
1: I think that's an incredibly important point. One of the, one of the things that gives me hope is I, I listened to a podcast, uh, Hard Fork, which is about technology, where the host interviewed Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Alphabet. And one of the themes he harped on or hit on numerous times is this element, which is the importance of making sure ethics overrides pure technical accomplishment. And that having these guardrails, especially for a technology like artificial intelligence or whatever it is that we call these language models um, is critical. And I suspect, you know, Demis is because, because DeepMind has already has some of that infrastructure in place. The article talks about how they already have a ethics board and they already have a process for evaluating the ethical implications of some of their technologies, whereas you know, the Google brain doesn't quite have that yet. And so I think that this positioning that Google is undertaking to basically become a responsible steward of the technology uh, is, is probably A, what got him the role, but also which makes him aligned with the what I suspect is the board and leadership of Google overall um the other thing that that the article gave the impression of is Jeff Dean didn't really enjoy the sort of the business decision making of picking projects that are going to work and killing others he's truly a technical guy and likes developing new technologies and not managing these things whereas Demis seems like he enjoys the management and uh, including the public-facing aspects of this. So I, I think that they got the HR leadership aspects probably right, although there's nuance in integrating the West Coast of the United States with with wherever they are in the UK. Yeah.
0: One of those challenges they've got is um, they've got the uh, the classic thing where you've got senior-level people that are, have such status and a role in the organization, you can't deal with them in a normal way. So you've got, you know, quite often you know, typical m you'd say, okay, we've got two sets of management teams, let's mush them together, who's the best, and we'll do a bit of selection. Here, you've got Devis and Jeff, and Demis is this key figure that you can't do it deal with. And then you've got Jeff the same. So they end up with both having senior, you know, top board level positions, both reporting in, which to, to most integrations are like, that's the worst
1: situation. You need one clear leader. And they've ended up with both. You're exactly right, I think, uh, David. I think how the question is, is Demis, does he have the sort of nuance and sophistication to let Jeff, who is actually close friends with the senior management at Google, probably more so than Demis is, still have the status and control and influence in this process. Also, Jeff is a, you know, one of the world's great artificial intelligence researchers, so you can't get rid of him, nor should you. And uh, I think, you know, he he also has a following within Google broadly. So I think that how this works, it'd be great to see, I'd love to see the diary that Demis keeps at night about this going forward in terms of how he has to handle the different important technical and personal, you know, sort of constituencies. But um, just to
2: that personal point, Abby, I was just going to jump in on that personal. I, I mean, there's two things, that two bits of irony about this which intrigue me massively, which is that, Ultimately, we're talking about an integration between two sets of complex, difficult groups of humans, right, uh, which given what they do, which is, uh, is just perfect, isn't it, in some ways. It, it, you know, they are not providing a solution for their own problem, which I love, right, in its own way. Uh, that, that's fabulous. The second thing is, there is something really prosaic in my head around uh, the fact that the things that are going to be in the in the minds of these incredibly clever people who are creating uh, extraordinary uh, you know opportunities for us are going to be all the things that touch everyone else that goes through a merger integration process, you know. Do my terms and conditions stay the same? Do I get paid the same as I was? Am I still reporting to the same people? Will I have the same freedom? Can I pick my kid up on a, on a Friday afternoon because, you know, my partner can't do that time? Or I, I don't like to get into the office before 11 o'clock because whatever. All that stuff, right, that is exactly true for any other merger that I've ever been through will be as true for this group of people uh, as well, um, which is a million miles removed from perhaps what, both Jeff and Demis might think are the key priorities in terms of making the integration work. I love it.
1: Yeah, what did you, uh, David, I, I saw that you actually uh, consulted ChatGPT to see what they would suggest in something like this. And I'm curious to get your, maybe a summary of that and be your thoughts on how on the spot or not it was.
0: I suppose the, the yes, the caveat would be ChatGPT is probably its knowledge of M&A is all the articles that have been published of MA that it can read on the internet and and so it's almost, I love the idea of ChatGPT as a research tool. You know, you're doing qualitative research. You want to know what the, ind- what the world thinks of your brand or thinks of your product. Well, that's ChatGPT because that is a, a, a accumulation of all those different uh, bits of learning, that bits of insight. Um, so really, I suppose it's a mirror being reflected back on us rather than any particularly new insight. And the mirror reflected back is, is classic, what you need to do. You know, four things. Establish cross-functional teams, uh, share resources and infrastructure, Uh, encourage knowledge sharing and collaboration and create joint research programs. Um, And actually I quite like that. Those are all real tangible, particularly starting number one, cross-functional. I think Ben, you and I, if I think back to the last deal we worked on together, that was the number one thing is trying to break down those functional barriers. So
1: maybe the world of chat GPT isn't so uh, (laughs) so far behind. I, I mean, I think what they did is they shoehorned this particular situation into the frameworks applied to M and A integration broadly, right? And so,
2: where do you think yeah, you can- the only thing about that, Abby, though, is, yeah. is that we know it fundamentally doesn't work for seventy percent of the population, so or of, of the organizations that do it. So, whether they've taken that into their into the sort of um, the way that they've come up with the recommendation is is an interesting question,
1: right? Because if well, you can, um, you know, continue, yeah, go. Well, and following up on that, Ben, where do you think this set of recommendations that chat gpt provided is wrong for this particular circumstance well
2: i suppose i i would take a quite a different approach to this okay. in my view um and i would take an approach what well, a increasingly as i get older and older i think this is about individual things, not collective things. I I just that we're I'm almost at a stage where functions are almost immaterial now. We're talking about small teams. It's a bit like if you think about the military, you know, it works in a team of between 12 and 15 people in reality. That's where the strength of the military comes from, is by the, the connection that those 12, 15 people have between each other uh, and their willingness to, to, to do whatever they need to do for each other you know, in, in, in the most um, hazardous and, and, and stressful situations. And I think increasingly that merger integration happens at that level. And so if you take that forward and you say, OK, um, this is not an inclusive deal, actually. This is an exclusive deal, and I'm going to choose a set of pilots and not there's not very many of them there might be four or five or six where i think we have the best possible chance for these two potentially competing teams to come together and produce something and work on something in in a relatively short time frame which satisfies both the academic side and also the commercial side of this business so i'm going to choose those four or five teams incredibly carefully i'm going to spend a lot of time with the individual's who are working within those teams to 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 almost coach them through the process of what this is going to look like, and I'm going to set them off in quite a public way, you know, discovery as we as David and I always talk about, um, to start to do something as as a as a, a cross act collective a barrier, so that we can see where we go in that sort of first five six months of integration in that very limited very narrowly scoped area uh, where we've got the greatest possible chance of success, because I can guarantee that if we succeed in those four or five or six areas then everyone else will want to get involved in this. And, And I'm managing my risk as a consequence of that. So that would be my approach.
1: So you're, you're just a sort of paraphrase. You're saying sort of the pick the low hanging fruit projects where you have the greatest chance of success, use them as pilots, as you say, or, uh showcase showcase opportunities for the rest of the organization everybody else seeing this would then see that the mer- that the that this type of collaboration integration is possible and therefore be more open to it correct that's exactly what
2: i'm saying and i think you know but managing the individuals who are involved in that through that very carefully very very tightly um uh, and and making a public statement which is that this is not about enabling functions this is not about you know a single hr system it's not about how we account for this stuff it's about that very small human element to making this work um and, and learning through that process if you like you know so that's the, the other thing that i would say is you're sort of learning through that, you know, that exercise and you're doing that quite publicly
0: hmm. so in that six-month period where you kind of focused on these core teams that are demonstrating how you want the organisation to work and what it's going to deliver in the future, there'll be huge pressure, as you say, to sort out IT systems, create brand videos, put everybody on the same platform, do all of that kind of background stuff integration. Would you go with that and let that happen, or would you say, no, guys, just wait and and focus on these projects before you get into the back office type stuff?
2: Uh, you know, you might you might choose one or two areas that are fun, that, that are really enablers to to the organisation working together but I, I would certainly, I would be very discreet about that if I was doing any of that, that exercise um, so you, you might say okay there is a benefit to I don't know, uh, enabling us to communicate effectively across you know the organization so maybe we need to think about what's the best form of collaborative software that we can use across uh, these two locations to enable that to take place and really focus on make sure that, that really works uh to get over that that distant um, uh, geographical distance issue that might be something that you'd say okay you know you five or six are the are the vanguard in this process to use my military analogy and um to support you and help you we think you need One or two things from an enabling function perspective that will help you get there.
1: One of the backdrops to this, which would make me worried, as we if if the organization were to integrate like you're describing, Ben, is the fact that you have this competitive pressure, right? But in six months, there could be a GPT five or GPT six, or somebody else may come up with something. And this is one of these businesses where the mark—I mean, the market—could completely shift in that time. Not and and so with that pressure, um, I wonder whether a lot of the what I'd call careful, let's get some sort of points on the board, you know, types of projects just don't have the time. Right. Because there's pressure to actually put out a product at some point that competes. You know, I know Google has barred my and, and I guess the question is, how does that work in the context of the technology industry where markets dramatically change over the course of six months to a year in a way that might leave Google exposed?
2: Actually, foot working on something significant and meaningful, which has got a time frame to deliver in that in that time frame. So, so that, the 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 backdrop to the process is they're delivering something together. It's just not everyone's going to do that. Right. It's going to be a very small little set of people.
1: Gotcha. What uh, if you had to give advice to anybody, either Jeff or Demis or the people overseeing them and the integration? What types of things would you highlight as? Would you say sort of critical, or things to watch out for, or things to worry over? It, it comes to my point
2: earlier about the more prosaic stuff. I think you actually have to deal with that That's quite. That I don't care how clever or how you know how wealthy you are or whatever it is. The sense of insecurity and and uncertainty about what happens in a deal like this pervades no matter who you are, right? So actually dealing with that. And that's the that's the role I think for, for Jeff and Dennis up front is to deal with that say so, and 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 you know, a lot of the people might actually say I, I I'm not interested in that, but they are right. And, and if it's if they're not interested in it, their partners are interested in it, right? So to some extent you have to respond to that thing up front. No matter no matter who you are, I think you have to respond to that up front. And that I think is the role for those those two leaders. I think the second thing is that I would I need to be able to, whether it's in my little groups of five or you know, five or six groups or whatever it is. My abilities as a member of those groups to navigate my way through this organization as quickly as possible to get away from that first day at school type feeling, right, um, is not as simple as an org structure and a job description and maybe a you know a role profile or a CV or you know a list of academic papers that I've published. It has to be based on something much more substantial than that. Now, how do you get to that? And it comes back to some learning I did um, very early on, which was that, you know, well, I did a professional services merger many years ago. One of the the best statistics in terms of success in certain divisions was the travel time that people took. The amount of time that people actually spent on the road visiting each other was a significant determinant to whether they were going to be successful or not. And I think there is something around enabling that to happen in these teams um so they actually spend meaningful time together really early and get to know each other because that's really the only way you're going to build trust so those would be my two first things is to say deal with the prosaic and and label those those thousand conversations to take place that i think sit at the core of any integration process
0: david Doc? um so i had two thoughts i mean you've got the challenge of Integrations, so you know, I got five thousand people with completely different values, ways of working, behaviours, mindsets. Okay, you could focus on, okay, let's let's make this a successful integration. On the other hand, you could completely ignore that and say Google is facing an existential threat here from from everything else. Google is the profit driver that supports the whole of Alphabet without it doesn't exist. Therefore, screw the integration. Let's deal with the existential threat in any way, and we don't care what happens to the organization as a result um and that kind of led me to the conclusion in the middle you've you've probably got one thing that needs to happen that's the clarity around what success looks like for everybody so you've got a team that's focused on papers and you know agi just general use of artificial intelligence and you've got a team that's driving the profitability and advertising and somehow you if i my one thing would be i would be saying what does success look like for us and trying to define that for everybody and re Reorientate both teams around a common definition of success,
1: yeah, that's I mean, it strikes me, and you know my it strikes me that the one risk that that these two organizations face is that there's a huge demand for AI computer scientists and engineers right now. And so dissatisfaction could lead them, and Google and Deepmind have arguably some of the best people at this. And so, one of the things I would think is in the course of this develop and not to just get to incentives, but develop systems to keep people engaged and happy, not start killing projects very quickly, try to transition in a way that keeps the team and the uh, you know intellectual capital together. Yeah. I love that because that goes back as well to, you know,
0: the chat GPT is built on technology that was released, you know, developed by DeepMind. So, it's in their, uh, uh, and Google Brain. Um, so it's almost something they've created. And the same by creating the merger of these two teams, arguably there's only about 20,000 people who actually have got the skills in AI in, in the, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 say, they've got 5,000 at Google. Actually by this merger, spitting out another 2,000 engineers who really know what's going on could dr- drastically transform
1: AI again in another way that Google doesn't want. I think that's right. There is this leakage risk let me uh wrap things up by when do you think we will have some sign? what is the time frame when we th- when you think we will have some sign whether this integration is going well or not? What's the time frame?
2: I think it's both short term and long term. I think short term, if you get a lot of noise in the marketplace, people leaving that that generates a lot of uh, 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 of challenge and and it makes it more not more likely that others will leave um. Um, but if it's very quiet for the next six months, a year or so, that's a positive sign from my perspective. And then I think you're you're probably talking a sort of three to four time year time horizon for this for, to to see whether those teams have actually come together and uh, and started to do something meaningful.
0: David, for me, I'd say probably six to 12 months and the metric being products released as in the perception in the market that Google have been playing around with Alpha you know, DeepMind have been playing with AlphaGo and all these other things actually they need to show they can deliver product
2: Great Well thank you both Thanks very much for listening We love hearing from you If you've got any ideas, comments or critiques please just let us know via Twitter or uh, LinkedIn Thanks also to CyberKent for providing the music See you soon